Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, October 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the city of Jackson faces legal action over over lead in its water system. And Mississippi prisons reopen for visitation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB. Attorneys representing hundreds of Jackson residents have filed a lawsuit alleging dangerous levels of lead in city drinking water. Lawyer Corey Stern, who's previously brought similar action against the city of Flint, Michigan, is lead counsel for this case. He tells Rob Lane lead issues in Jackson's water system were first exposed in 2014. The city of Jackson was utilizing well water, and there were some tests that were done of the water, routine tests that showed that lead levels were inching up towards what the threshold would be for unsafe water uh, with lead in it. And there were some recommendations made at that time to local officials about how to combat the levels. It included some treatment of the water to just sort of alter the pH And rather than utilizing the treatment that was suggested, a decision was made instead to switch to river-slash-reservoir water, a totally different water source. But to my understanding, that wasn't stuck with. Is that correct, that the city went back pretty quickly to well water? Yeah, so in, in the spring of 2014, the switch was made to the river reservoir, and then more testing was done on the water eight months, 12 months, six months, eight months, 12 months into the switch. And it turned out that the lead levels in the water from that were flowing through, you know, lead pipes from the river and reservoir water were significant and way higher than anything they had seen from the well water. And so sort of quietly in the night, they switched back to the well water in the summer of 2015. What city officials are you alleging were complicit in this? Were there any state officials from your vantage point that were complicit in this? Politically, what should Jackson residents and Mississippians know? So the current mayor, uh, former mayor, Tony Yarber, there is culpability both within the city and within the state. You know, through their lack of transparency, through their midnight massacre-like decisions to move from one water source to another, taking funding out of treatment plans for for the first source of water, only to switch to an equally or more expensive source of water. I mean, at, at some point in time, the Mississippi Department of Health stopped reporting lead levels for about 16,000 children in Mississippi. 
because they said that in order for it to be an accurate lead level, there had to be a secondary test to confirm the first. Meaning that, I mean, you know, wrap, if you can try and wrap your mind around this, Jackson, Mississippi is one of the most impoverished cities in the entire country. Folks in Jackson and kids in Jackson typically do not see doctors annually as, as they probably should, as all kids should. Most kids in Jackson who go see physicians go see physicians utilizing social services in terms of the, the, the way in which they pay for, for their care. Every kid should be lead tested, but because the most impoverished amongst us are the least likely to go see a physician, and then when they do, you know, hopefully they're getting the same treatment that a kid who has private insurance or is paying out of pocket does, but it wouldn't be surprising to anyone if on occasion a kid using public assistance for their medical care may not be getting the same treatment or the exact same treatment as a kid on private insurance. And when you combine all those things, the expectation that a child in Jackson, Mississippi, would not be tested for lead poisoning once but twice in order to confirm a diagnosis of, of lead poisoning is insanity. My guess is that most kids aren't tested once, and I doubt any of them, unless there's just some serious spike in their lead during a first test, is being told to get tested again. I doubt seriously that any of them are getting tested a second time. And so if you were actually reporting lead levels for kids without utilizing some double test that was internally created by the Department of Health to CYA themselves, you likely would have seen spikes in lead amongst children over the course of two, three, four, five, six, seven years. And that may have drawn attention to where the lead was coming from and why these kids were being poisoned. But instead, rather than addressing head on what was likely an obvious issue for somebody at the Department of Health, they created a policy that made it less likely that lead levels would ever be reported. We'll return to our conversation with Corey Stern in a moment. You're listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. We're talking with Corey Stern, an attorney who's worked on lead poisoning cases involving drinking water systems in Flint, Michigan, and now Jackson, Mississippi. He tells Rob Lane he sees key differences between the crises in the two cities. Flint is a community where right out of the gun, people were banging on their chests and screaming about the lead and the water and the discoloration and the smell of the water. And so community activists kind of shined a giant light on what was happening in Flint. In Jackson, that never happened. For whatever reason, the community is a much quieter, much more reserved, much less self-advocating group population. And to compound matters, the government never really explained to anybody in 2014 why the switch was being made. They never told anybody in 2015 that another switch was being made. And until they began getting orders and requests from the federal government to clean up their mess in terms of water, or they'd be fined X number of dollars per day, it it never came to light. Is your allegation that the levels of lead in the water in Jackson are more or less comparable to Flint? Is Is that a reasonable comparison to make in your view? They're either comparable or worse. The main difference between Jackson and Flint in terms of the 
the levels or in terms of the harm is that to this day, the water in Jackson is just as bad, if not worse, as it was on day one. There's been no fix. There's, there, I mean, people should not be drinking the water in Jackson, Mississippi. They shouldn't be cooking with the water. They shouldn't be bathing with the water. And their government, their officials are kind of silent on it. So there were some problems with Flint that needed to be fixed, and people lied about it. Folks sort of pointed fingers at other folks so that nobody ever took responsibility for it. But relatively quickly in the grand scheme of government, the situation was was alleviated. In Jackson, we're, we're seven years in to when this started, and we think it may have even gone back further than that, and the water's still bad. If I went to Flint, Michigan right now, I would have no problem. Well, I'd have very little problem drinking water out of the tap. If I went to Jackson, Mississippi right now or spent a week in Jackson, I would not drink out of the tap because the water is still bad. And so fundamentally, lead poisoning is a dose-response disease, meaning that the more exposure you have, the worse it is, irrespective of the levels. And so you could have a kid exposed to a, a ton of lead on one day and then have chelation therapy and have the lead removed from the child's body within two days. And the damage likely wouldn't be as bad as if a child was exposed to lower levels of lead over seven years, because the more exposure, the length of exposure has as much, if not more, to do with the level of poisoning and the level of harm than does the amount of lead during one particular exposure. Can you tell us about what happens to a person, a child or otherwise, when they are exposed to lead through drinking water or otherwise over a period of years? As an adult with a fully formed brain, I mean like physically fully formed brain, my brain is not going to be affected by exposure to lead as a neurotoxin. It's just not. I may develop some internal issues with my organs, my liver, my bladder, my kidneys, depending on the amount of lead. But it would have to be a ton of lead. I mean a ton of exposure over a long period of time and a lot of lead. But for kids, it only takes a little bit of lead to sort of burn part of the forest that is their brain that can never grow back. And so the effects of the lead are an inability to focus, a severe inability to concentrate. Kids who are lead poisoned are far more likely to have to repeat a grade in school than a child who's not lead poisoned. They're far less likely to graduate from high school. They take twice or three times as much time to read the same passage in a book as does a child who's not lead poisoned. They are far less employable ultimately in life because of their inability to oftentimes finish their education. And if I were explaining it to to my 12 or 13-year-old son, which I've tried to before, it's like everybody's born with some amount of potential. And everybody's potential is different. My two kids have completely different potentials based on who they are and how their brain works and physically, emotionally, mentally, intelligently. They're, they're just different kids. No matter what your potential is, if you're lead poisoned, the lead poisoning will rob you of some level of what that potential is. It's almost like a, a phone that only charges to 88%. You know, 88% may be awesome. It may be still the top five phone that you could ever own or use or have, but you had the potential to, to charge to 100. And so it may be that a kid could have been a rocket scientist and instead they only become a dumb lawyer. Or it could have been that a kid had the potential to be uh, a college professor but instead teaches online seminars about 
something else. It's just that a child ultimately is robbed of some of what his or her potential will be. And unfortunately, you'll never know what the potential is because it happens to kids at such a very young age that they kind of grow up knowing something's off, but it's hard to place it because they never were able to even feel the full extent of their potential. Corey Stern is a partner with Levy Konigsberg LLP. He specializes in lead poisoning cases. The city of Jackson wasn't available for comment. Coming up, people incarcerated in Mississippi can now see their loved ones again. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Visitation in Mississippi's prisons is set to resume next month. MPB's Brittany Brown reports on the specifics of the new visitation policy and how loved ones of incarcerated people feel about it. The Mississippi Department of Corrections says visitation will begin again in prisons November 1st, just in time for the holiday season. Well, this time we're trying not to have so many restrictions like last time. That's Corrections Commissioner Burl Kane. He says this time visitation will be open to people of all ages, including children, and will allow up to five guests per visit. Just really trying to hopefully open on up because we have the holiday season coming. COVID is better in Mississippi than it was, and we hope we don't have another spike because if we do, we'd have to respond appropriately. And so on board with us is also the health department and so forth. So we've covered all our bases. For incarcerated people with children and young family members, this is good news. For the first time since the pandemic hit the state in March 2020, people under 18 will be able to visit their family members in prison. Mary has an incarcerated son and takes care of her young grandson. She asked that we not use her real name out of fear for her son's safety. It just warms your heart to know that you can look in the eyes of your loved one or to give them a hug and know that they're okay. So that feeling is indescribable, peaceful feeling to your heart and to your soul. MDOC reports most people in prison have taken the COVID vaccine. With extra precautions in place to prevent the spread of the virus, MDOC and loved ones hope visitation is here to stay. Brittany Brown, MPB News. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.